Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast, where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And I'm Nadia Sampson. Nad, I'm, I mean, if we're being real, <laughs> I'm real exhausted today. Like, it just feels like the school year started just immediately. Like, it was summer, school went out, then it was... Yep. Summer took four seconds and also an eternity. <laughs> and then the start of the year just happened to us. It is now like on us. And all of a sudden I had like 45 different things that just landed on my plate, both in my personal, like crazy chaotic world. And also in my professional life, like everything just came at once. There's emails. Logistics are like all I do all day long, it seems like. <laughs> And yesterday I had to set a reminder to like stand up yeah. and leave the office and then set a timer for how long I should be gone and then come back to doing it. Otherwise it was never going to happen. But I guess that's just our reality now. That same, same. <laughs> and I'm wildly impressed that you set a timer to make sure that you get up and walk around. Are you impressed or a little I am wildly <laughs> impressed. Look at you doing self-care. I don't know. There is so much going on. Yes. Training students and all these transitions to like new routines that were used to be old routines, but now we have to get used to them again. It's all It always feels new, place. right? It's like yeah. we've never done it before. Yeah. I yeah. know. I bet there's more than a few of us who could use just a little distraction while maybe still feeling like you're doing something work related. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of distraction is like, I, let me just real quick read this funny. Let me scroll Twitter looking for the educational posts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, so maybe if you're feeling so the same way. So impressed with you. <laughs> Maybe if you guys are feeling the same way, that that's what we can be over the course of this episode for all of you. Let us be the reason that you needed to just close your email. Maybe you turn your phone on silent. Maybe you sit somewhere comfortable, but you could also listen to the brilliant guest that we have for you today. We're talking about school-wide teams today, and joining us in that conversation is someone that is near and dear to our hearts. Um, she's a dear friend. She's a longtime colleague, Danielle Triplett. She's so great. She is so great. Danielle is a senior research assistant, and I'm happy to announce that she is a new member of our PBIS apps training team. Hooray! Here, yay! Here at the U of O. She loves to talk about how school operates. She loves how schools operate. Yes. But she's particularly interested in exploring how they can improve educational equity, um, offer alternatives to exclusionary discipline, and use data for decision-making, and implement multi-tiered systems of support for behavior and mental health. She is an experienced coach, an avid snowboarder, a baker, and a dog lover. And we are absolutely thrilled to have her here today to share everything she's learned about school-wide teams. Well, hi, Danielle. Thanks for being here with us today. Hi, Megan. Hi, Nad. It's great to be here. It's so good yeah. to see you. Welcome back. We're so happy to yeah. have you back with us. So today, we asked you to join us because, you know, we're fo focusing. Um, 
our year on trying to clarify some of the aspects of PBIS implementation and the framework as a whole. And so we're making our way through the TFI and the items on the TFI that help schools to know where they're at with their implementation levels. And so the first two questions on that TFI, they relate to your school-wide team. And so today we wanted to really talk about what it's like to be um, on a team, to, uh, to leverage the support of a team and all of the experiences that come with it. So, um, so first I, we thought we'd just check in with you. You can tell our audience, you can uh, remind us, what are, what are your experiences with teams, both maybe in your role of supporting them or working as a team member? What, what's your experience with this? Thanks, Megan. I have lots of experience with this, both as I started my career as a middle school language arts teacher. And when our school started implementing PBIS, I was like, hand up. Yes, count me in. <laughs> part of that and was really struggling as a as a, a new teacher to um, figure out classroom management. Right. I had mm -hmm. like one course in graduate school on it. And then you're given your own classroom and, and you, you know, I had patience for my counting on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but when I found out that there were systems in place to really get, you know, the whole school on board and kind of all moving in the same direction while still allowing each teacher to have their own sort of individual um, expectations in the classroom and, and do it in a style that works for them. I, I mean, it just really resonated with me. And so I started out being a team member and helping come up with our school's expectations and creating the posters and how to teach those. And we made videos and, and that kind of thing. And so it just really made sense to me and added a lot of value for the work I was doing as a classroom teacher. So PBIS was new to your school? Yes, at the time. I yes. see. I see. So you really were just like helping to implement this framework from the ground up. Like you didn't come in to a to a system that was already in place. You guys were working on creating it together. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we started with implementing tier one, started using Swiss. Um, and our team was really eager. We had a fantastic team leader who was also a friend of mine. And so mm -hmm. just was I just love being part of that team and, and building that and Actually, we implemented tier two, check in, check out. And I was one of the first teachers to say, I want to do this. We'll try it out. You know, we had just a couple <laughs> kids and I had this young man who, you know, I wanted to kind of help mentor and be that person for. So, so Danielle, I, did you sit in the front of the class when you yes, were Yes, I'm the Hermione Granger. I'm the one with my hand all the way up and I want to have the right answer. Yes, that's me. <laughs> you got it. So, yeah. So I've been on a team. And then when I uh, transitioned out of the classroom, I moved into, I, I took a job at a school district here in the Portland metro area as a district PBIS coordinator. Um, oh, so you went from team member to team coordinator. Yeah, district yeah. coordinator. Like, yeah, big incredible. And had 19 schools and Whoa. elementary, middle, high school. Um, and I loved it. I really um, excelled at it. I was like, I was, I thought of myself as still a teacher. Just my classroom was bigger and my students were bigger. They were now the adults, right? But I kind of was able to help, um, I think, translate some of the research and best practices and kind of, I still, I, you know, I really thought like a teacher. I could kind of appreciate where a lot of those those educators were coming from and what barriers might be in place for implementation. And so I think that was great for me. But in that role, uh, that's where I really 
went from being, you know, a team member to a team leader and helping not just established teams maybe that weren't in place, work with teams that were doing great, where I had to give little support, um, kind of all across the board there. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, well, now I'm really curious about um, what you took from your team member role and how you applied that in your district level, like higher leadership role. What did you learn as a team member that you then applied to the work that you were doing to support more teams? One thing that I, well, I'll say two things, I guess. Yeah. One is that my mentor told me she had been in the role previously and she's like describing it. She did a really great job kind of onboarding me and setting me up for success. But she's like, you're the cheerleader for this work, right? Like when the district, you know, one of our high schools was new to implementing and was not really bought into it. And so it was Mm -hmm. kind of like, I have to bring this thing to a high school and, and, and get folks on board, even though some might be saying, yeah, we don't really need this. So being a cheerleader and kind of maintaining um, visibility and um what do you mean maintaining this just like being available being available but also just keeping that initiative alive like I was sort of the one Mm -hmm. like if if it if it weren't for me having those teams meet getting them together at that Mm -hmm. high school that was new they wouldn't have probably done much it would have been like oh yeah push that to the back burner so I was there to kind of keep it afloat make things happen get things on the calendar and and actually kind of try to tie into the things that they wanted to see different at their school and how PBIS could be a vehicle to move some things forward. How did they you keep it on the street? Yeah, go ahead. Coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you keep it all straight where everybody was in their implementation? 19 schools is a lot of schools. I imagine not everybody was working on the same, at the same pace or had the same goals. Yeah, so how do you keep it straight? You know, I think because of the work I had done as a classroom teacher and I'm just naturally organized. So multitasking all the time. Exactly. I brought in organizational structures um, and was able to really develop cohorts of folks that were kind of, okay, Mm. these or teams might be kind of in the same stage of implementation or need, need for support, what they're ready to scale up, what they need to focus on. So I had like um, quarterly team leader meetings where I would do, and I think what I did was I had like just the elementary team leaders come together and then I'd have the secondary, so middle and high school team leaders come together and really be able to share what they're working on. um, Did that happen during the year or was that like, but like the beginning of the year or the end, like when did you, when could people come together like that? Well, you know, at at that district, we had teams all come together for team. um, Sorry, I'm thinking of what we called it. We had, um, I guess it was professional development days. So I would have all our teams come together and I would guide some professional development um, at the beginning of the year, like, and really carved out work time for them to say, what do you need to do to kick this off? Um, so that was usually happening before the teachers returned to school, like that week before we'd find a day or two and the district paid their time. So there was yeah, for them to show up, to show and up, same then throughout the year, um, those team leaders would come together about every other month after school. It was, their time was compensated. I always brought snacks and goodies. You have to bring the snacks and goodies. hundred percent always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so that then- was. Go ahead. Danielle, it sounds like, so you first learned about PBIS when you were actually on a team at a school that was just implementing, but you must have supplemented. How did you learn as much as you learned? What did you do 
so that you were like, oh yeah, I can coach this. Not only can I be on a team, I can actually coach other teams. What did you do to make that happen? Yeah, that was a, it was a big leap for me. Um, I, I was a lifelong learner though. And I learned from George Tagai and Rob Horner and Mm -hmm. attended, I remember going to my first Northwest PBIS conference uh, Mm -hmm. in Eugene and Chicago. I went to the forum and I read, I scoured the PBIS.org website and just immersed myself in it. And also here in East Multnomah County, we had like a consortium of PBIS district leaders and coaches. So we would come together monthly and share resources, discuss how things were going. So it wasn't me on my own. I had a network of colleagues uh, that I could work with as well. And that was a huge strength. Do you recall if all of your schools had access to a specialist like a school psychologist or a behavior specialist on their teams, or if that was something that was more challenging to come by? It was more challenging. I think for a lot of the school psychologists, they were pulled into doing a lot of testing and weren't yeah. able to participate on teams as much. Yeah. But the district had a network of behavior specialists that were assigned to schools. So it might be um, one person that worked at two elementary schools, let's say. Okay. But, yeah, because yeah. we were talking about that a little bit, the three of us just the other day. I was um, the TFI I says that, you know, someone with, experience or understand understanding of applied what was it applied behavior analysis analysis yeah. or something and I was I had to ask I asked Danielle and Nat and um our our training team uh what what is Alan's role lead um, training lead. Team lead okay great yeah <laughs> I was asking him I asked Kent I asked everybody I was like what does that even mean <laughs> who is this who has this and how does every team get one and so um and so I was just really curious to see if the teams that you supported up in that district had that and how difficult that was to come by or if you had to make a special arrangement. And it sounds like the district had to assign some people to the teams that might have had more of that experience than just um, what was available within the school mm-hmm. leadership itself. Yeah, I could really, I'd say the district I was in was a pretty large urban district. So they had, you know, plenty of um, personnel to fill those roles. They also often had like a special education teacher who I think in our district had been mm-hmm. pretty highly trained in, yeah. behavior in behavior analysis. But, you know, if you're at, let's say the Oregon coast schools I've worked with where they just don't have, you know, the same amount of personnel, the same amount of people, it might be the school counselor who also wears 12 other hats throughout really? the building. Well, and any more, I mean, the experience that Nat and I have talking with some people in the field anymore, it's like what used to be there, a person who used to be a part of a district is just not there anymore, or they have been, uh, their role has been absorbed by a different department, and now it's handled in a fully different way, or whatever it is. So sometimes these supports that used to be in place, we're finding is that not every district has found a way to sustain that position over the last three years. Right. Right. I'd I'd add to that. And it's interesting coming back to the Portland area and and seeing the changes that have happened since maybe eight years ago. Um, One, I would say there's an increase in qualified mental health providers being in schools. So a lot of schools, at least I know in Portland public here, have a social worker assigned to that school. 
Uh, that was a role that when I was teaching or when I was, yes. in that, it was, that was not the case. So that's good. The other part though, is post pandemic, we're just seeing so many vacancies and yeah. a lot of schools just can't fill the positions as much as they'd like to, particularly in that behavioral and mental health realm. There's a real need. Yeah. And there was such isolation with the pandemic too. I remember being talking to people across the country at that time. And you were just talking about how you had this network of people you could connect with that folks that were being put into this role or were new to this role, that type of isolation, they were really trying to figure it out on their own. And that and probably was, still are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're still yeah. in a in a little bit of a bubble trying to figure out how does this work? What does it look like? Let's talk a little bit about data because you know how much we like it around here. Love it. Yes. Yeah. So what are the ways that you've seen teams incorporate data into their regular practices so that it feels natural? Um, are there specific data points that you've seen um, schools like to bring and they find more useful than others? What would, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how data plays itself out in team meetings. So it's different. I'd say... I. I've worked across both as a district coordinator for PBIS specifically and the, the tiers there, as well yeah. as doing, being on some research grants and projects. That's right. When, it, when it's PBIS, that kind of work, like I think as district coordinator, I established things pretty well and often did a lot of modeling up front, wearing those roles kind of for folks as data analyst, data provider, meeting mm. data, and then could gradually like, work myself out of a job basically of like, okay, let me show you how to do this. It's that I do, we do, you do kind of model. Like, uh, you know, we do that with our adults right. as well. And so sometimes with data, that's a, a big piece of what we do both as um, in sort of a practitioner role or as a researcher role is showing teams what this looks like, often um, providing that data for them in ways that make sense because sometimes- yeah. I find that a lot of personnel just, they have access to so much, but it's hard to say, okay, what do we actually need to look at? Like, what are the the top three things during this, you know, 45 minute meeting that that we can, we can really have time to look at, explore and, and, and discuss and problem solve around. Did your teams meet monthly? That's pretty typical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have 45 minutes a month to look at all of this stuff and make decisions. That's an efficient meeting. Right. Right. Like, were they meeting outside of that time ever to like talk to each other about how things were going? Or was it strictly just the 45 minutes and we're out? Well, I some schools certainly I mean, I think there's ones that yeah. definitely carry it over. And maybe as a coach, I don't often see that. But yeah. I think one one of the most um, influential practices as a coach I could have is the stuff that happens before the meeting. Right. Yeah. So prepping for it. It's kind of like as a class. Again, I think of it as a classroom teacher, like. It's not all the stuff that necessarily happens once the kids show up at 830, but it's the things I did the night before to prep for that and have it have it be successful. So what were some of those things? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, really sending out communication about meetings ahead of time, right? Like a reminder that goes out with an agenda, with maybe a snapshot of the data we're going to look at and also involving team members to say, what issues do you want to talk about? What's missing on this list to make sure mm -hmm. that, you know, we're being inclusive and, and getting everyone's voices. Uh, but I would say that um, not every team is skilled at and practiced at using data to guide their efforts. And so as a coach or as a meeting facilitator, 
you've got to be able to help them understand that and ask questions and 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 narrow it down, sort of drill down that data to say what what are the um the, the big ideas that we can come from come away from this and and really learn from what the data is telling us. And it's we- interesting. So, sometimes data. I, I remember there was this article we used to read all the time, and I can't remember if it was George or. Rob, data um, is a four-letter word or isn't a four, doesn't need to be a four, something like that. <laughs> something about yes. four-letter words. Something <laughs> about four-letter words. You know yeah. how much I love them. But yeah. um, it, I just wonder too how, um, how you were able to help folks not be afraid of data. And um, I know one of the things I used to do is to say to teachers when I was working with teens is like, you know, you look at data all the time. You're you're constantly checking to see if students are making progress or not making progress. So trying to make it something more familiar, like you actually look at data quite a bit. This might look a little bit different, but that's that's what what you do as an educator. So I just wondered if you ran into that sometimes. People are like, no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> not, I think not interested in data. <laughs> Especially true with the school-wide discipline data, because there's some educators who I think haven't made that, don't, don't see the connection between a kid's behavior and how I might, I would tell a teacher all behavior is communication, but it's figuring out what they're communicating, why they're doing that, sort of the function of that behavior and helping folks to understand that. And that's a coaching and, and teaching piece that has to come into play. But I think sometimes we think, oh, we're not. Um, responsible for that, or we're not sure how to act, right? Like, what can I do to make this different if this kid is struggling? If their behavior is doing this, why are they doing that? What can I actually do to change it? Um, particularly when it's things that sometimes as teachers, we think, well, I have my students, my kiddos, but I don't need to worry about the fourth grade or what's going on on the playground because that's when I'm taking my break. And so it's Part of PBIS really gets folks to say, no, this is our school. We're responsible for all the kids, even the ones that are, you know, mm-hmm. already in the next grade or or that I won't even see. If I teach, you know, AP chemistry, I might not ever work with that group of kids, but it's still our kids. They're still all part of that. And so I think helping schools look at their data and look at that school wide and say, yeah, this is really on all of us. And the more we can do to be consistent about our expectations supports all of us as teachers and all educators all the folks that are you know supervising the the common areas the lunchroom whether it's the building administrator educational assistants all those folks like I remember when um Rob would talk about data and um, the first times that he went into a school to be a part of their team and he'd show up and he said that some piece of data needed to be presented and you know to the to the group within the first however many minutes of the meeting and the first time he did it they were like cool graph bro and then the second time he did it they were like they were like oh you're serious about doing this mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and then the third time they would ask like did you bring the graphs or like they had some curiosity around it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i have found that to be true in the team meetings that i'm a part of that when we're starting to ask questions or make assumptions about what we should be doing or where we should go next that now i have it in my mind because around here we we look at information on graphs and charts and all of that trends over time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And so now when I'm in a meeting and I find that we're 
starting to ask questions and then answer them without looking and knowing for sure that we're answering them based on real information, I get so I get curious, like, well, what does that say? Like, what would those data say? And in the opposite way, too, just last year, I was looking at some trend data that we had that came out of our national database related to behavior and some assumptions that I had made about the trajectory over the last three years of the way that behavior has gone in schools, I had made some assumptions and those data did not confirm my assumptions. And so then it was like, well, why though? Like that doesn't make any sense. And so then you get to, so this, this part about showing data and being regular about it, it just starts to become part of your process as a, like a touch point I have found anyway, to be like, well, I'm making some assumptions about what we should do next. Like, what if we, do we have data to look at? And if we don't, how could we collect it? so that we can implement this thing and know that it made a difference rather than just sort of feel like we're doing the right thing. And that you can ask, like it can, did, what is not confirm, whatever the, it can Disconfirm? not. Unconfirmed, disconfirmed. I don't know. It cannot confirm your <laughs> assumptions also. You know what I mean? That like you think, I know how this is. I know right. I've been reading. Right. I'm really in tune with what's going on in our building. And then you look at the thing and you're like, oh, that didn't, that's not what I thought was going on at all. And then you mm -hmm. get curious all over again. So yep. I don't know. That's just been my experience with data. You, you become too. one with the data. Come one well, with the data as I'm kidding. That's what Rob always used to say. I like what you said though, Megan, about you know the consistency. And so sometimes it is with teams. It's just being the one. And if it has to be you as the external coach yeah, in that data, it. I think presenting it, having, you know, if if schools, almost every school I've been in nowadays has a projector with a screen built in. So we're mm. so easy to pull it up and just project it. So we're all looking at the same thing. Versus the model of one person's got it on their laptop and they're just talking about it. Like it, it just creates a totally different environment where we can all look up at this big screen and see the graph in real time or click the next thing and then say, oh yeah, let's just look at this school year or let's look back at this time last year or let's compare it in some other way and, and, and see that. I think it's such a game changer. And I honestly, schools don't do that enough. I see, I walk in schools and I still see them sometimes just talking about it rather than actually looking at it together. Yeah, right. Think, oh, right. Yeah. I would say one of those small changes that could have a big impact is just, just display it, just display it, project it. And if, you know, schools have access to this or whether you're talking about it school-wide, a grade level or individual kiddos, like that data is, it's out there. Are there other like tips, the team initiated problem solving model. They describe meeting foundations, right? These things that you need to have in place, regardless of the team that you're on, if you're looking to make some decisions together as a group, right? And one of those is to is to be able to project like the agenda, your data, your minutes, these kinds of things. Are there other... Um, so you've you talked about like a small change you can make is just project your your data on the screen and people get more engaged in it. Are there other foundational elements of the of a meeting, just like basics of a meeting that you have found to be super useful on teams that maybe we take for granted? You know, I think having the right people in the right role. So 
I do well as a meeting facilitator. I'm naturally. That's oriented. shocking, Danielle. I know. I've been called <laughs> really? director and I love that. I like seeing the cruise you know, director. Yeah, person. nice. I do nice. it well. And so that's great for me. That might not be great for love you, Nad, but Nad might, that might not be her, her jam, you know? You're not wrong. Finding You're your, not. Your, your person. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. You know, I, I think that's, that's really important. And whether that's, um, you know, you have some, uh, one person who's stands out as, oh, this is our go-to, it's Danielle, or it's, oh, we've mm-hmm. got to get creative, find that person in your building mm-hmm. uh, and, and and get those people in those roles. Because a, a big part of that, like I said, is creating the agenda, sending out things before the meeting. I think when those, I think of those foundations, it's not all the stuff that happens right there. It's being prepared for the meeting. It's yes, making sure I agree. the space that we're going to be at making sure, you know, as an outsider, whether I'm in a district or kind of research role, sometimes you forget, oh, that meeting, we had to change it because we had the fire drill today. And now the meeting's not going to be till Thursday. Let people know, like sometimes we forget to send our research partners or our district partners that message. So I always was in the habit of confirming it the day before, getting Uh numbers to text them and making sure, hey, are we all in the same, still happening today at three or whatever that is. The other key thing, I think, as a foundation, and I know research supports this, is having an administrator who's present, right? Present, whether that's physically or just kind of emotionally and actually there, right? But not distracted and getting pulled out as they often do, but really making a commitment for that work. Yeah. Why do you say it's so important? Well, I've just, I mean, my own personal experience has has shown me that when when I've got administrators who are sitting at the table making time for teams, they're able to then take that and say, oh, the team needs this from me. Here's a resource I can get from my district, from my boss, from, you know, they need time with all staff. So I could, I am in control of those agendas at the staff meetings. I will carve out time for that. I will prioritize this and help schools see um, the, the, the big picture and how, let's say, this initiative fits in with our sort of school-wide mission and the and the goals we have, that it's not just this siloed thing that that's happening and that team, you know, they're, they're meeting when they're doing their own thing. But no, I'm connecting the dots and I'm being really strategic and intentional about making this happen. I think so, you said a really important word there that the, the that it's a priority. Yes. Because without that leadership saying, yeah, no, it really is a priority. Um, and showing that by allowing the team to meet, getting the time um, for professional development and things, it really, it can just um, easily dissipate and it doesn't become a priority more, anymore. It's just yeah. it, meetings get canceled and people stop showing up or um, those kinds of things. So I, that word priority from your leaders, I think is so important. Reminding me, I'm thinking back to a principal I worked with. Her name was Elaine Luckenbaugh. She was one of the most the strongest leaders I've worked with. And she she was an elementary principal, but also served on like some committees. Like there was a district equity committee we worked on together, but she just embodied PBIS too. Like she not only was on the team and and had her teams back, she provided, like you're saying, the resources they needed, if that was a budget, Mm -hmm. if that was time, if whatever. Mm -hmm. But when she would, let's say, run her um, school-wide assemblies, they were so positive. They were so inclusive. And the language consistency where she was using yes. a respectful, responsible, like she used that with all the kiddos. She used that with the adults. 
it was just, she really modeled it and lived it for them too. Mm -hmm. So people were, it was kind of this subtle reminder, like this isn't just something we, you know, talk about or we do sometimes. This is truly just the culture of our school and how we do business. Right. And, uh, you know, she's just so great. a real exemplar of leadership in that way that, you know, it wasn't kind of forced down anyone's throat. It was so organic and just natural and how how she operated, whether she, you know, had had a one-on-one meeting with me and and kind of carried that through to running, you know, a, a, an assembly with 500 kids and, and staff. Yeah, it sets the tone, you know, exactly. for the whole school. And you just know that when you have a leader that's bought in and invested in, in achieving the same outcomes that you are, then everybody gets in on it, you know, and thinks, oh, no, this is real. We're really doing this. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking, too, about, like, representation from your school, like getting representation on your team that we talk about, like having grade level representation that you have. Um, teachers, specialists, um, special ed professionals, the, I don't know, leader, administrators, families, students, like we talk about representation on teams. And it makes me think about, um, like how the makeup of a team can, um, can center equity in this work. Because one of the things that I, I'm really that Nat and I, I think both are really mm-hmm. interested in when we talk to people this year in particular is that um, we're talking about the framework of PBIS and we're really trying to um, clarify how these things work so that when we talk, when we say the word PBIS, it doesn't just mean rewards and tokens, that we're talking about this whole framework. And at the center of the framework is this word of equity. And I think that we can throw it in there and just say like, well, you know, just the part of it. (laughs) It's like the hub of all of it. So just do that. But I don't know that we always spell out like, what does it mean to center equity as a school-wide team? And so I think we can talk about data, which we should, and how um, disaggregating data as part of your decision-making process can really um, achieve equitable outcomes. But I'm also curious about how your team and the functions of it and who's on it can also be a representation of equitable um, access to this framework and the supports within it. So anyway, I'm just that's a long-winded way of just asking like in your experience, how do teams and like the nature of working together as a group, how does that center equity in the work? How do you do that? Well, I could say I've seen schools that do this really well and schools that are really uncomfortable with talking about race, racism, disproportionality in the data and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I would say it also comes down to leadership and make, leaders who create space and are having open conversations about what's going on in their schools. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. For me, what I've seen work well is when we um, have representation on our teams. So our representation of our of our educators looks like the students that we serve. And so too often we have white folks who, like myself who might be in schools that have a, a different makeup of their student population. And so right. I think having you know our kids be able to look up and see that they have people who rep- represent what they look like um, in their buildings as much as possible is huge. And so having folks on the team that can represent them really can help 
move that equity conversation forward. Right. That's not always the case in all our schools, particularly here in Oregon. Um, right. And so I, the other big thing that I'm an advocate for is raising student voice. I think that so often education, we are, you know, we're the adults and we're educated and we make these decisions for our students rather than saying, what can we do with our kids? And I, you know, today's kids have lived through the pandemic right? They have some strong lived experiences that really impacted them. And I think they've been, they are savvy to and have seen some injustices in our world that they have uh, things to say about. And so they are, you know, I know in some of the work Nat and I did together in one of our grants where we had focus groups, kids are pretty savvy and pretty open about calling out injustices that they see, ways that one teacher might talk to one kid this way and do something different with another kid. And often that's based on their gender, their race. They're just sort of, oh, that's that kid just usually, you know, they, uh, what's I'm trying sorry. They always misbehave or they carry that card right. or they're they this. Carry, they're, oh, they're, they're, right. yeah. they're one of those. They're one of those kids. They're one of the bad kids and they just get labeled in this way and, and not kind of given a clean slate and a, and a fresh start. And so I've just been really aware of that. And there's so much out there about student voice. And I just, if there's one thing I would like schools to do more of, it's really building that up and letting letting our kids be heard and having a voice in how their school goes. I see this with my own daughter. She's in fifth grade now. You know, she is a strong, independent young lady and has a lot to say. And yet at school, she acts different than she does at home. And I think we, you know, a lot of us as parents probably see that. And so I think there's there's just so many ways we can get kids voices heard and really say what when we're thinking of the data like can they see some of this data can we share it with them can we amplify um and their voices and help them generate some solutions and be part of it too it's their school they're there every day and so and the teams that you've worked oh, sorry. with sorry um, just real quick on the teams that mm -hmm. you've worked with um have they had a family member or a student as like regular standing members of the team? Or are we talking more about like having a focus group of kids um, or having a, a parent night or a family night or whatever, um, where you can get this kind of conversation going? Or are, you, are, are teams actually putting individual people on the team? You know... I know that on the TFI and some of our work, you know, our tools, our assessment tools, we might say, oh, we should have a, you know, an, a family member on the team. My experience in teams has been that that is the exception, not the rule. It's yeah. not the, the most common practice. And then students even less so, especially yeah. at the grades. Yeah. I find that problematic. And I might have to disagree with some of our, you know, um, PBIS gurus out there who might say, oh, we need that representation. But I just don't see how one parent mm -hmm. can be representative of hundreds of other parents. Like that's mm -hmm. just a voice. And so that would be, I would say that'd be one solution, but I wouldn't have that be the only thing we do. Yeah. Getting, getting parent voice. Some, some, not every parent has the type of schedule that might allow them to come to a, a school meeting that's happening, you know, at three in the afternoon. So right. that's a barrier. Now we're already um, kind of ruling out some of our population that, that we really need to hear from. So I think getting creative and saying, yeah, we might want to be able to have a handful of parents provide us voice on our team, maybe on a site council, 
but looking at other ways to get, get them involved. Um, there are surveys I've seen that are created. There are ways that I think we can use technology so that parents can do that via Zoom and do it uh, you know asynchronously even where they can give some feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, really thoughtful about that. But yeah, in my experience, it hasn't, I haven't seen a ton of family members or students on the team. It's something I've been really curious about because as a parent myself, I'm often not able, just the way that my work is. And then after school, there's extracurricular stuff that the kids are doing that I'm taking or having to juggle with logistics. And so adding that, adding something like that to a regular thing that I'm doing with the school would be tricky. And then I think, so it gets back to this question around equity, where when you have representation on your team, just because you want to have grade levels represented, like, or you want to have a parent on your team, it's like checking a checkbox almost like you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that it's real representation. And I think your point around having one parent on the team cannot they can't speak for the rest of the school because just their, them being able to participate automatically makes their experience different than somebody else's. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it's a good point. Nad, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just, I just wanted to amplify something Danielle said around creating the space, having leadership that creates the space for these conversations, because I, in my experience with teams, having conversations around equity, disproportionality, just like you said, is scary sometimes, and it's really challenging. And so how do we create the space to do that? How do we, how do um, good administrators or administrators that are willing to go take it a little bit further and have those conversations, make the space? And I think it lends itself to what you were just saying, both of you were just saying too, is create the space for um, not just one parent to be on the team, but what are all the ways we can be inclusive and um, build equity into what we're doing um, and creating the space for that, that it's not, oh, we're just going to do this and check the box. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it's so important. And I think we have a ways to go in terms of, in terms of that, uh, in terms of encouraging or supporting teams to feel comfortable around these conversations. How do we do that? I have people ask me all the time, well, how do you have this conversation? I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at our equity data. I, I don't even know where to start of how to do this. And so I think we're building those conversations. Um, but I think we have work to do, a lot of yeah. work to do around it. So, yeah. Go ahead. I just want to take us back to the, the another example I can provide is at the high school level, at the school I mentioned earlier, that was the new high school implementing PBIS. They did a lot to empower their students. And so they, but thinking beyond, like often even with that, we tap the leadership students or, you know, students that have already kind of identified yeah. that, that aren't representative of the whole population in the same way. And so really looking at you know, in this school, they were deciding on what their school-wide expectations would be and wanted student impact. So they took that to all the advisory classes or homerooms that they had, and kids were able to all chime in. So it wasn't, oh, just the seniors are giving their input or mm -hmm. just this group of kids. It came from everybody. So they really looked at ways. How can we make that representative of everybody? So that's, that's really a small cool. example, but it's, you know, there's already, it's, it's looking at your your context and the structures that are in place, whether, oh, our school has homeroom every Wednesday or every morning or whatever that is, how can we 
capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The center just came out with a new resource or posted one. I think um, it's called, I'm looking over here because I read it just the other day, Centering Equity in Database Decision-Making. Mm. Considerations recommendations for leadership teams and in it in it it's really wonderful um i was mo- i was focused primarily on the um systems and practices around the actual like teamwork not necessarily on the decision making stuff that'll come in a future article but for this month i was really focused on like what are the structures that we have in place for teams and uh they have a series of, in in that resource there's a series of questions that they um, recommend teams make their way through either with an outside facilitator who can help them have this initial, like, this is how we're going to address each other. And this is how we're going to center equity in our work. Um, or if you don't have access to that, these are the questions that you can ask each other and talk about as a team. It requires like trust and openness. And one of the other things that they mention in this resource is that not everybody who comes to the table, your school has a hierarchy, right? Of people who have authority and responsibility within the building. And those people along that like ladder are going to all be sitting around the same table, talking about the same stuff, making the same decisions together. And so it's possible that, you know, if you have a, a grade level teacher is sitting next to the principal, is sitting next to the school psychologist, who's sitting next to a district level person, whatever, like all of those people feel compelled to participate in different ways. And what's important as a team is to establish that we're all going to be talking to each other in a way that we may not talk to each other outside Mm -hmm. of this meeting space. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like asking people who tend to have more authority in the building to watch and make sure that they're listening and amplifying voices at times. And then also encouraging people to talk in the meeting that may not feel compelled to do so because they just don't see it as their role typically in the building. So it's just trying to like navigate this team dynamic because there's something about it that you have, you have a way of working together outside of that room. And, um, what you're what we're suggesting is that we're working together as equals while we're around this table. And that's not always easy for people. So you actually have to make investments to, and like considerations for how you're going to have equity around the table, not just in the decisions that you make. Such a great example and such a uh, strength of a skilled facilitator who can really Mm -hmm. make sure that they're, they're creating an environment and kind of the culture of that team and how they work together that allows for that. Totally. Totally. Anyway, it's a really cool resource. We'll link it in this, in our um, podcast summary, but um, everyone should check it out. There's like lots of good stuff in there. It's brand new. It's brand new. Um, So the last question then that we wanted to talk about, which is what we try to do. We try to end every episode this way. It's like we're, we've got team members that are listening to us right now and they have ideas for what they want to do for the year, but they may not, this may, might be like you where it's like, I've never done this before. What do I do? And so what are some things that you would suggest or that teams make some investments in right now that being that this is the beginning of the year in particular um, that could really set them up to be successful by the end of the year? I think of it like, as I did as a classroom teacher. So I'm backwards planning. So I'm like, where do I want us to be by, let's say June, by the end of the school year? And how can I work backwards to get there? And so if 
you know, ideally with the schools already has an action plan they've created or been able to build that. If they have that to start with, great. If they don't, I would say looking at what data they have as a team to decide what are our priorities for this year. To, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes we might complete the TFI and it's like, oh gosh, where do we start? We're we're still just at this early implementation stage. There's so much to do. Mm -hmm. well, let's let that's a great opportunity to get you know opinions from or amplify voices of your stakeholders of the the kids in your building of the families in your building of the adults in your building here's here's all the stuff we need to do what are the big priorities how can we really be strategic here and get the mm -hmm. biggest bang for our buck so mm -hmm. i think having an action plan to guide that work and kind of a roadmap of where we're going is mm -hmm. is pretty is pretty critical to being as successful and efficient as possible especially if you do only have one one meeting a month for 45 minutes. So it's <laughs> yeah. be, how can we use that time well? How can we prep to make sure that meeting is, is the best use of our time? Um, and then I'd say finding that organized leadership person who is going to be your facilitator, who's going to be sending calendar invites and, and making sure that these things are actually happening. Is there space for it? Are there Zoom links to send out? Whatever that is, like, like starting out in an organized way. Um, I'm, thinking much like how teachers, we set the stage for our year ahead in September or whenever your school year starts, mm -hmm. building our community, right? We're carving out time to say, how do we get to know each other in this space? You might be my boss outside of this meeting, but in this meeting, you know, maybe I'm facilitating and you're <laughs> thinking or something like that. And that's- Yeah, I'm going to assign you a task today, exactly. sir. And yeah. that principle might be like, great, I would love to just be the note taker at a meeting and not <laughs> to, you know, do all these other things. And so I think you are, you're building community, like in your classroom, you're establishing routines and really being intentionally inviting and finding out what people need. Do they have they been inside their building all day and it's sunny and here in Oregon when the sun comes out you're like let's meet outside. Let's sit at the picnic tables and get some vitamin D. Make it works or maybe folks prefer to do it on Zoom. Maybe there's some other way. Maybe for them they're like if there's not coffee I'm not coming. So what are, you know what do people need to to, to really be there and, and show up. Yeah. Yeah. To actually show up. Nag, what's worked for you in teams? What are the things that you like? I definitely would get on board with that, that, um, that having a mission, a shared mission, a sh shared vision. One of the things I can't stand is to walk into a meeting and go, no, what am I doing here? <laughs> what, what am I? Why am I here? Why am We've I all been in those meetings. What are right? we oh yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that is really, really important. And I love the idea of building community. Well, I was just thinking, it, I find it so helpful. And we've talked about action planning is if people can walk away, if most of the people around the table can walk away with something they've said, I will do that. Whether, you know, if it's assigned or not, mm -hmm. but it helps me, I know, build investment in what we're doing. I, I actually feel more that I have a voice and that, um, I have something I need to do to contribute to this conversation. And so I think um, helping people establish, again, what are they good at? What do they, what part do they want to contribute is so important. So, and I think action planning really goes a long way. Who's going to do what by when? And um, as many people as possible having a role or a task when you walk away from that meeting can be really helpful. I totally agree. And I'm thinking that sometimes that task, you know, depending on who you are and your personality and your skill set, 
it might be, oh, I'm going to create this bulletin board that that lets mm-hmm. everyone know right. doing about attendance or sharing data school wide or something like that. Like you've got your people that that want to go and and make a visual or hands on, and then you've got other people that that might be really painful for, but they're like, you know what? I'll just go back and talk to my seventh grade team, and I'm going to mm-hmm. share this idea and get their feedback or right. you know, things like that. Like it doesn't, it's it it might look different for everyone. I'd but it's all say, and it's all important. Yeah. But it's all important work. I would also say I'm reminded of when I was at that high school I was talking about and the school was really talking about the culture. And they said, you know, we have sort of social influencers. This was pre pre um, social media days, but they were like, if we have the football coach on board, most teachers will also be on board. Like they kind of knew that he'd been there for decades. He was really seen as a leader. He wasn't going to be part of the team, wasn't. Was it um, in his wheelhouse or interest? But they were like, if we get him on board, that's going to set the stage for success for this initiative that we're taking off. So sometimes it's mm-hmm. even leaving the meeting and just we're going to go talk to this person and we're going to kind of see what what we can do to get them on board. I'd also add to that, like, it's just as important to have that meeting, but to document like successful teams often document, OK, what are the things we'll do before the next meeting or before a certain date and helping folks stay accountable? We're all busy. So sometimes you close your laptop, you leave that meeting and you switch gears onto your next thing. If there's a way that that facilitator can send out a reminder of here's the notes, here's the things we each said we do. Nad's going to, you know, talk to her seventh grade colleagues. Megan's going to build the bulletin board. Danielle's mm-hmm. going to carve out time at the next staff meeting, whatever that is. Like having that accountability and, and helping each other with all these to-dos on our task list really helps move the dial. So I think, I think here's what I think, that everyone at some point in their professional career has been a part of a team where you've had to work together to find compromise, to collaborate, to make a decision, to look at data, to analyze what's going on and to figure out whether you were successful or not and how you can improve on it in the future. And that school-wide PBIS teams are no different than that and that so many of the structures that we um, that we know work as part of PBIS teams will work on teams just in general more broadly. Things like agendas and action plans and communication and um, having the right people in the right roles, all of that, having a person of author- with authority in your organization present and able to allocate the resources that you need in order to advance your work. All of that stuff is just I mean, these are foundational elements of of teams more broadly. And um, and what we know is that good teams are able to make those things fit contextually. So what your team looks like in one place is not necessarily going to be what it looks like at a different school. But there are ways to know whether what you're doing is effective or not effective for your students. So. Thank you, Danielle, for being here and for sharing what your experiences have been with schools. They've been so broad and they started at the, you started at the bottom and now you're here. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. This is really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're very excited to have you and um, and to keep learning from from the work that you've, you've done and continue to do. So thanks. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks. So much.